Good morning. Well, you don't sound very alive today. Happy New Year. That sounds a little better. Hopefully I don't put you more to sleep this morning. You can open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. Trust you had an enjoyable, though often tiring, but enjoyable and Christ-centered Christmas with friends and family. Yet we as believers remember that we celebrate our Savior every day, do we not? Rejoice in his amazing love and grace that he is shown towards us. Proverbs chapter 2 for our scripture reading this morning. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the path of justice and preserves the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you. Deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things, from those who leave the paths of uprightness to walk in ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who's devious in their paths, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they re regain the path of life so that you may walk in the way of goodness and keep the paths of righteousness. For the upright will dwell in the land, and the blameless will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the earth, and the inhabitants will be uprooted from it. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ, Father. We sing of him, we've remembered him, and especially in recent weeks, Father, and yet we rejoice in him every day. Father, for in him we find the, the amazing gift of love, the extension of grace as you offered your son on the cross to be an offering for sin. And Father, you laid on him the iniquity of us all so that we could be forgiven, so guilt could be removed, and so that, so that we could gain eternal life. But thank you, Father, that in, in all this you, you restore us to a right relationship with yourselves. You call us your children. The Lord Jesus called us friends. We stand in Christ, accepted and blessed forevermore. You're preparing a place for us. Father, you definitely are a God who shows your love towards us, a God who is for us, a God who watches over us each and every day, who cares for us, who in your sovereign power you protect us and preserve us and keep us. And Father, we're thankful for the, for the goodness of God towards us. And Father, we pray as we approach your word today that you would quiet our hearts and help us to be ready to learn what you'd have to say to us. Father, we pray you'd be our teacher. Lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Teach us more and more of the depths of the love of God that we might enjoy it and reflect it in our daily lives, that we could be a witness for you. And Father, we pray for those who are not with us this morning for whatever the reason, that you would watch over them. Be with those who are maybe sick and ailing, Father, those who are troubled, those who are away. Father, pray that you might watch over them even today. And Father, we pray too, where your word is taught, and not only in our region, Father, but throughout our nation and world for faithful men who are teaching your word and people who are seeking to learn it, Father, that your word would speak to hearts today, that you might prepare us for an for a uncertain year, 
that we might be standing uh, in your power and your strength, resting in your ability to care for us and direct us, but may we be mindful of the spiritual battle we're in. And so may you equip us today as your, as your saints and as your soldiers, uh, Father, to share the love of Christ, the good news of Christ with the world around us. So we pray today now that you would direct us to your word, help us to uh, understand the things you would teach us, and Father, take the things we learned today and, and use them in our lives to draw us closer and closer to yourself, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, in the Jewish Civil New Year, it's a time of reflection. The Civil New Year in the Jewish calendar happens in the seventh month after the harvest is done and God has provided for their needs for another year. Uh, they have what's called the Feast of Trumpets, which is on the first of that month, 10 days before the Day of Atonement. And the Day of Atonement is a time in which the high priest would go in and offer the blood of, a, of an unblemished lamb to cover the sins of the world. The word atonement means covering. And so that, so that Feast of Trumpets, that, that blowing of trumpets was a sign to Israel to reflect, to consider their, their walk with the Lord. Because once again, they were going to be faced with the reality of their sin. Because one thing we recognize, in all those Old Testament sacrifices that were offered, none of them took away sin, according to Hebrews 9 and 10. None of them cleared the guilty conscience. They simply were a covering for another year. And that's why Hebrews mentions the fact that they were offered year after year after year. And, and it wasn't until the Lord Jesus came that he offered one sacrifice for sins forever. He paid for sins. He, he was the qualified substitute for our sins because he became a man. He died in our place. And now for you and I, our, our consciences are cleared. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, our sins are forgiven. We've become children of God. Yet, when the Israelites, on the first of the month, with the blowing of the Feast of the Trumpets, the trumpet is often associated with major events, and especially even judgments in the Scripture, they would reflect, much like we do in the coming year. But it seems like in this country today, our reflections are on physical things, you know, on our bucket list and our diets and whatever else they add to our New Year's resolutions. But Israel, no doubt, was a spiritual time of spiritual reflection and of their walk with God, and of what God would do for them, because they recognized they were dependent on God. They had just finished the harvest season, and they recognized that what was provided was given to them by God, and that oftentimes God would judge them through lean harvest if they had drifted away from Him. And so that was all in their consideration as they approached another year. And I thought this morning as we approached 24 that we can take a time of reflection of what the opportunities are that are before us. Because we know as individuals and as a church that we're, we have responsibility before God. We, you know, God has commissioned us with what we call the Great Commission, isn't it? We're to make disciples, we're to preach the gospel, we're to affect people for Jesus Christ. And I think we would all agree that as individuals and as a church, we want to be successful in that endeavor. We want to be faithful to the calling we're with which, which we are called. We're to what we want to walk worthy of our calling, we want to walk worthy of our Lord. And collectively as a church, we want to be effective in being used for him. We don't want to simply be a, a physical organization. We seek to be that which accomplishes God's purposes for us in outreach and ministry and edifying each other in love. And that's what God has for us to do. But we recognize that that, is, that not only applies to the church corporate, to the organized ministries and outreach of the church, but it especially applies to individuals because that's where it starts. Much of, much of ministry happens across the kitchen table, as I like to say, in daily contacts, and it just simply extends itself corporately in the church. 
And that's why, in reality, corporate ministry does not happen unless personal ministry is happening in our lives. You see, ministry, the Great Commission ministry of reaching people for Christ, of encouraging people in Christ, of lifting people up in Christ, and, and helping the needy, and so on, all begins in our personal lives. And yet we also know that all, that also begins in our hearts, doesn't it? And if we zero in on the individual, we've got to zero in on what God zeroes in on, and that's that ministry is a matter of heart. It's not a matter of obligation, because if it's obligation and duty, it quickly fizzles and often fades away. But if it comes from a heart of love for the Lord Jesus, a heart that has grown to appreciate and worship the Lord Jesus, it is normal then and natural to begin to share him with others, to live him before others, to want others to know the same God we have and have the same blessings and benefits that we find in Christ. And that's why the path to spiritual success and contribution to the cause of Christ emanates from our personal walk with him. That's why the Bible puts so much emphasis on abiding, abiding in him and Christ in us, his words abiding in us. It's, it's a reference to the relationship we have with Christ. We love him because he first loved us. And the greatest commandment is to love the Lord Jesus Christ and then to reflect that love towards others. That's our responsibility. And really, when it comes down to it, ministry is simply a, a normal sharing of the life of the Lord Jesus lived out in our lives. And therefore, corporately, a successful church is comprised of believers who are walking closely with the Lord Jesus Christ, sharing his life together, allowing him to mold our perspectives and objectives of life, bringing them all into line with his. That's how we grow corporately together, and that's how we become effective for Christ. It is not... not it's, not simply an organizational obligation or the objectives of the church. It is really the outflow of life. And that's why it begins in the heart, because that's where, that's where spiritual life emanates, from a heart that knows God personally. You know, and, and, and this morning you might think it's strange we turn to the Old Testament to speak to that, but this, new Old Te this chapter does speak to that personal knowledge of God and intimacy with Jesus Christ. We've, what we read here in our scripture reading in chapter 2, is, is an if-then objective. Chapter 2 begins with, if you receive my words, that's conditional. There's a result, verse 5, and that's the verse I want to focus in on first of all this morning, where it says, then, if you do the things that God instructs us to do, here in verses 1 through 4, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. It's an if-then. Yet, verse 5 is somewhat describes what we call today in the New Testament a walk with Christ. Does it, does it not? Understanding the fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God is very much like abiding in Christ, enjoying his goodness in our lives. Now notice, first of all, that the fear of the Lord is something to be understood. It's something we must come to understand. Now it's often described and defined as reverential awe or a deep respect for the things of God. It has nothing to do with being afraid of God, but in reality, to expand on those definitions, it's really all about being amazed and overwhelmed by the person of God, his might, his majesty, his beauty, and the glory of his person. That's what the fear of the Lord is. It's that awesome respect of God. If I may put it in these terms, it's the wow factor, as we would say today, of God, how he impresses on us, how we are impressed upon in his person. And when we think about that, we... we when we come to know our God, it is impressive, isn't it? It's something that should grip us. We think of his character. You know, he, we, we define his attributes and his character. But he's a God of love and a God of grace. 
a God of holiness. He's a sovereign, powerful God. Present everywhere, he's a God of truth. We look at the character of God. We see this beautiful person. We see a person that really, that was exhibited in the Lord Jesus Christ, one who attracted people because, because of his character. We also see his creative work. There's a wow factor in his creative work. The amazing beauty and variety and complexity and harmony of creation, which according to Psalm 19, just screams the glory of God. It should, it's just there's a wall factor there. It's, it's like something grabbing your attention. You stand there, you know, with your mouth open and say, wow, look at, look at that. You know, even the mystery of life, its reproductive capacities, birth and growth, which he sustains year after year, generation after generation. The creation alone is enough to, to make us step back and humble ourselves and recognize the, the wonder and majesty and might of our God. And it's a creation which mankind in reality may seemingly just be getting to comprehend the depths of his wisdom and power in creation. We also could consider his works towards man. Think the cross. There's no other love that the world's ever known than the love of God himself becoming man to be our savior. And that, that God would then extend to that to us freely. That's amazing grace, as the song goes. That's amazing love. That God would love his enemies, those who revile him, those who shake their fists at him, those who swear in his name and bring disgrace to him, those, who, those whom he created living life apart from him and without him, ignoring him and even denying him. Yet God says, I love you. And I'm still going to offer you forgiveness freely. Restoration to a right relationship freely. The glories of heaven in the future freely. The riches of his grace, the wonders of his word. Found in the wonders of his word. You know, towards the saved. We often don't appreciate what God expresses towards us and his works with us. In our lives, we see his goodness and his kindness, his patience. That's a big one, isn't it? His ongoing favor in spite of ourselves. Sometimes we forget and think that we have to earn our way into God's favor because we've been naughty, disobedient. But God favors us because we are his children. And instead, he's, and in turn, he, accepts, he extends his mercy to us, reminds us that we are accepted in him. He understands us in our distresses. He helps us in our needs. He provides for us. He protects us. We have the security of, each, of our eternal future and in a prepared place, and so on. God, in his goodness, is impressive. You don't find these kind of works anywhere else in life. Yet God does them day after day, week after week, hour after hour, whether we notice it or not. Also, another wall factor in the person, and when you become to know your God, is his ways for man. The path he's laid out for us. We find that in the Christian life, a life of richness and fullness when we live it according to God's truth. It's a life the world is looking for. But they're looking in all the wrong places, as the song goes. They're not realizing that the life that we're looking for, life of fulfillment and contentment, peace and joy and satisfaction and purpose and meaning and all those things, people, maybe not they don't define it that way, but what they're longing for in their hearts is found in the truth of God's word. And when you study the Bible, you recognize its wonders and its beauty in the life that God lays before us. I hope you see that when you read the Bible. As you see things fit together and see how God works and his per person is revealed to us, it becomes a wonderful book of the expression of the personhood of God.
And even the beauty of personal holiness in a person's life. Even at times the world cannot help but admire a person who has been captured by the holiness of God, who exhibits a righteousness in, in his life that reflects a person of God. And now, we just brushed over these, and we could spend weeks looking at all these categories, but really, the, all these things, if, we're, if we take the time to step back, clear our minds, get, our, get away from our busy schedules, and that which preoccupies us, when we consider these things, it's really wow, wow, wow. There was a person I had a Bible study with, and as they were learning the Word of God, he, he would sit back every once in a while in his chair and go, wow. Wow. That's what we all should be. He'd say, wow. And I think the rest of us take it for granted and say, ho-hum. But the Word of God needs to be fresh in our relationship with Him because He is an awesome God that we can call our own, and we belong to Him. It's a sure standing we have in Christ because of the cross of Christ. These things are what exhibits the fear of the Lord. These things that grip us, that come to affect us. You know, in the biblical accounts, when people came face to face with God in various ways, there was a response. It was a humbling response. It, it was, they were awestruck. At times, people fell on their faces in humility and recognized their, their, their frail humanity and their depravity before God. This is what the fear of the Lord is. And if we tie it to the other half of this verse here in verse 5, it's what results when you find the knowledge of God. These two are linked together in this verse, aren't they? They're related. It's related to finding the knowledge of God. Now, this is more than knowing facts about God, isn't it? It's referring to finding the knowledge of God is about personal awareness and comprehension of God. It's an inner appreciation in which the person of God grips you and affects our lives. And that's why reading the Bible and going to church is more than just a duty and obligation that we get out of our way or to opportunity to learn a few facts. You know, people, those of you who maybe grew up in Christian homes and or when you were young, you know, you know the Bible stories, you know the Old Testament and New Testament stories, you know the history, you know the facts, and you know, and um, um, if you play Bible trivia, you're probably very good at it. But this is more than that. This is finding personally that inner appreciation for God. Th that knowledge which develops a oneness of spirit with God as we enjoy him as one's God. It brings us to the place where we realize our place as his created beings, yet, yet elevated beings. We stand in Christ, accepted for all eternity. We find that belonging with him and in him. And we find the great love and care, passion he has for his children. We find that life is lived in lockstep with our Lord rather than living as an independent entity which just maybe thinks about God once in a while. Finding the knowledge of God, something to be found, something we have to discover and realize experientially in our lives. Therefore, the fear of the Lord is to say, wow, to be impressed, to be awestruck with some aspect of the beauty and wonder of our God. We understand what that means. You know, you can watch a sporting event and, and just leap to your feet screaming and cheering because of something somebody did in a, in, a, in a flash of temporal glory. This is eternal. This is a God, our creator, who is for you. And, and when we see he wants to use all his faculties to help, to help you in life, it's wow. 
It causes us to respect and listen, to surrender and submit, and then to enjoy him and love him in return. The knowledge of God, then, is identifying with him in one's pers pers personal life, knowing him intimately as he not only provides life, but shares his life with us. Much like Jesus described when he talks about abiding in him. Sharing his life, being a vessel and through which he can live. Because that's how God originally created us. He created us to enjoy him, to reflect him in a personal intimacy. And God, through Christ, has brought us back to that place of opportunity to share in his life as we abide in him. And so the knowledge of God is something to be found. That's, that's his prayer here. Solomon here, writing to his son, prays that he will understand the fear of the Lord, that it will, uh, he'll come to really be awestruck with his God, and that he will find the knowledge of God in a personal way that, takes a, that grips his life and changes his attitudes and his course. And, and, that's, and therefore you ask, well, how does this happen? Well, let's go back to the beginning of the verse where it says then. Then. Then reaches back to verses 1 through 4. Verses 1 through 4 tell us how we get there to that point. And so let's go back and look at these first four verses. Now in these, these verses, we find Bible terms. Terms that maybe refer to the Bible. Words like words, commands, wisdom, understanding, discernment, knowledge. All of those terms either describe the Bible itself or are derived from the Bible, from the person of God. And so therefore, this is how one comes to know God, find the knowledge of God in his awesomeness. That's why verse 5 begins with then, and verse 2 begins with if. If these things are real in your life. And if we follow these instructions that God gives in, in our relationship with God's word, we will then can experience verse 5. We can grow in the knowledge and enjoyment of the fullness of our God. Now notice the instructions. He starts, starts out in verse 1, says, first of all, receive. Receive. If you receive. Notice it's an if. Therefore, it's a choice. And again, this is more than hearing the Bible or reading the Bible or knowing facts about the Bible. It's a reception. It means a personal interaction with that truth, allowing it to become yours or mine. It, it represents a strong belief, a conviction, an embracing of truth, a decisive standing on the promises of God. That's what it's about. And that's why when we read the Bible... We should really be looking for deeper than simply knowing and understanding the, the, the breakdown of the passage, so to speak. More than understanding the facts of the history, it is understanding the person behind it, why he's written it and what it means to me. And really, what, it, what this if refers to here, and these if you treasure in this verse, refers to our hunger for God's word. We're told throughout the Bible to to hunger for God's word, seek God's word. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. And that's why going to church is simply not something Christians do on Sunday. If that's the kind of church people attend, then they might as well just turn it into a country club, a community club, and play ping pong or pool or whatever, or foosball, or watch, be sure service is done at 12, let's watch football together. No, this is a spiritual entity which hungers to know the personal God. And that's why when we go to church, it's not about a preacher that gives a good sermon. You know, I, when people might mention that to me, I say thank you, but, I want, but, I, but what we really want as a, as a church and as leadership 
is people that are impressed with Jesus Christ. That in the Word sees the Word of God, the beauty of God, the wonder of God. Because it's Him that is revealed through the truth of the Scriptures. And that's why going to church is not about the preacher making a point. It's about learning the Word of God and hungering for it. You know, often when I see people looking at their watches at noon, I got a clock back there and I see people start watching, especially, you know, dinner's burning in the oven and, you know, and plans are, are going on. You know, I know we have legitimate reasons sometimes to get on our way, but in our hearts we might be thinking, when's that old windbag going to be done? It's, uh, I pray for them because they haven't come to this point to receive and to create a hunger, a hunger that keeps them desiring to learn the wonderful truths of God. And so if we receive, that's a personal reception, receiving God's truth as my foundation, and treasure my commands within you. Two key words in that phrase, treasure and within, I think, centered around the commands or the word of God. Treasure places a high value on God's word so that it takes root in our thinking. There's a value there. We treasure it. It becomes special to us and precious to us. And that's why on Sundays, we, you know, Laura and I remember as being kids that we would, we would be prepared to hear God's word on Sunday morning. We would avoid activities that, if possible, not always, but if possible, that would, that would hinder us from being able to sit with a clear mind and a quieted heart to hear God's word. Because it's a treasure. There's value in God's word. It's what delivers us from this present evil world that what lights our path, directs our step, and we need the word of God to take root in our thinking. Receiving them is allowing God's truth to be ours. Treasuring it is the value that brings you to the word of God when you read it and meditate on it and think on it and hear it taught publicly. Well, we go on in verse 3. It says, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. In some of your versions, they have those descriptions reversed where it says where you, you, you spit it out, where you show attention to the word of God. You use the word attentive or attention. And then you incline your heart, your heart to the word of God. And so the instructions in this word is which way do we lean? What do we pay attention to here in verse 3? Excuse me, verse 2. Are we leaning towards the wisdom of God? Where do we take our advice? What affects our priorities and our passions and our perspectives? He says that's, 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 what, a, that's what a child of God does. They lean that direction. They lean away from the perspectives of the values of the world. And we give it our attention. There's an, there's an activity here in which we make a deliberate choice to make reading and hearing and meditating on God's word a priority. Because the Bible is the truth upon which we are going to stand. It's the truth we're going to first consider. It's the truth that's going to guide our lives. It's the truth through which we filter all other tr supposed truths in our lives. And so we, we lean. And, you know, it's just like a conversation. And the older you're getting, the harder to hear. The more you lean in when somebody's talking. Isn't it? Verse 5 goes on, excuse me, verse 3 goes on. It says, yes, if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. Now these terms, cry out and lift up your voice, could refer to a passion, the passion of a soul, crying out for what longs for. And we kind of know what that means. You know, you know, maybe if you're young and you like to go to the mall and go shopping and you see something on the rack or in the windows you have, you just think, you might even say it out loud to your friends. I just got to have that. Just really something you really, 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 really want.
And this could refer to that. If you cry out in that same way, if you lift up your voice, this is something I, that I've been looking for, been wanting, been missing in my life. And here the object, the object of that attention is discernment and understanding. More references to the Word of God because the Word of God gives us discernment, the ability to figure out the rights and wrongs, the good and bads, and the right paths and the wrong paths of life, discernment. It gives us understanding of life. And it can be referring to that if, if, if that's the value of, of the wisdom, then we ought to be screaming for it. This also could re represent a prayer request. A person who is looking up to our Heavenly Father for this discernment and for this understanding and cries out to Him. That makes sense because if you look down to verse 6, it says, For the Lord gives wisdom. He is the source. Now, what a great prayer request that would be, wouldn't it? Yet the emphasis here is not on the formality of the request, but the passion of a longing heart. That's what it's describing here, isn't it? When we go on to verse 4 then, it tells us, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures. Seek and search. Pursuit. We all have pursuits in life, don't we? Various pursuits, many pursuits, sometimes too many pursuits. But what God's challenging us here is where do we fit in, the, the, in those pursuits? Where do we invest our time and our attention, our focus? I believe seeking silver here represents making money. The silver was, was, a, was a currency. And I think that's really what it, what it represents. When you seek silver, you're simply seeking to make a buck, make ends meet. And making money is a primary pursuit in our lives, and God wants us to work. We have to pay the bills, provide for the family, plan for the future, and maybe in God's blessing we get to enjoy a few toys and pleasure along the way. God does want us to work. But the point ma God's making here is, is our pursuit of God and his word carry the same priority? Do we seek him like we seek making a buck? That's the question. God knows what we're like. God knows we don't always have those, those priorities straight. And it's amazing in how goofy we can be, how sometimes a little sniffle can keep us from coming to church or our spouse is sick, so we're going to stay home from church. And yet we can get run over by a Mack truck and not miss a minute of work Monday morning. And that's what he's talking about here because he knows human nature because that's our nature. And he's saying your pursuit of the things of God, of the knowledge of God, so that you might come to know the fear of the Lord and to find the knowledge of God should have that same level at least. I would say, seek for her as you seek for making a buck. It should have the same passion and priority in your life. And then he goes on to say that, and search for her as for hidden treasures. And here God brings another element to view in our pursuit of God. He addresses the attitude of the pursuit. Because sometimes we go to work Monday morning reluctantly. We don't really look forward to it. We just do it because we have to, we need to. But God says the pursuit of me should be different. It should be exciting. You know, think of a hidden treasure. You know, as kids, maybe you like to have treasure maps. You know, think somewhere at the end of this map, there's a hidden treasure. You know, even opening a gift is like a hidden treasure. You can't wait till you get to it, whether it's a birthday, Christmas, you know, graduation, whatever. And yet, uh, whatever's in that, it's a treasure, it's hidden, and it's excitement. Very few people open a present with a scowl on their face. You tear into it, and you look for what it, what's coming, and you have hope, anticipation, and excitement in approaching the things of God. That's what he's saying here. He's talking about the attitude of the pursuit. 
The first, seeking as her silver is the priority of the pursuit. Seeking is like hidden treasure. Like a secret treasure is the excitement, the attitude here in our pursuit of God. I'm afraid too often that our pursuit of physical things have dulled our spiritual senses, our appreciation of the things of God. And here God's saying it's time to change that. It's time to get in the Word of God so God has a chance to wall us. Show us His person. So that the pursuit of God becomes exciting. It's life. It's reality. It's deliverance. And it also is eternity. And so we come to the then of verse 5 once again, and the then is hinged on all these things. Our relationship to the Word of God in which God tells us to receive, to treasure, to incline, to apply, to cry out, to lift up your voice, to seek, and to search. I think God's trying to tell us something. As Solomon here speaks to his son in regards to our relationship with the Word of God, and as any of us really consider this, this passage, we honestly would take a step back and think, say, I think I need to re- reevaluate my priorities and my passions. Give God a chance. Get in His Word. And see the wonder of his person. Because, as we go on in verse 6, God gives wisdom. God gives wisdom. His understanding, discernment, all those things packed up in wisdom. Wisdom is, is knowledge applied, we say. It's, it's life lived according to the knowledge of God. He gives wisdom. And he gives it liberally, according to James 1.5. James says God gives liberally. He gives, I think he gives anxiously because he tells us here that from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. In verse 7, he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's got, you know, warehouses full of wisdom. He's anxious to share. You know, as I've mentioned this before, but as parents, we sometimes wait for our, look for the for forward to the time when our kids actually come to us for a little advice and yet how much more with God he has the words of life remember Peter said that where else should we go you have the words of life and that's what we find in a life all the all the benefits and blessings of God's wisdom because we also have another then in verse 9 then there we go Another hinge verse, you might speak, it reaches back maybe to verses 1 through 4. And here we find practical benefits. Verse 9 says, Then you will understand righteousness, justice, equity, and every good path. And if I had to summarize those four things, I would say you understand life. Then you understand life as God intended. Righteousness. What it means to walk right, actually. Not my own sense of personal morality, but God's morality, God's righteousness. You'll understand. That's where we belong, and that's where peace and safety is found. You'll understand justice and equity and every good path. This is, you'll understand life and how God would have us to live. And that's the cherry on the whipped cream. Because if you follow the first four verses, you find that when you expose yourself to the person of God, you stand amazed. You stand wowed. You're awestruck. And it begins to grip you and have an have a, a effect on your life that creates this awesome respect for God and finds his, his, his person and his word becoming real in your, in your life. And the cherry and the whipped cream is then you'll understand life and how God would have you to live. 
You also understand how God would have you not to live as you look at the world around you and apply discernment and discretion. But you understand how God would have you to live in life. A life that is characterized by peace and safety, by hope, anticipation, joy, stability, and so on. Well, as you go through the rest of this passage, you find other benefits, which we're not going to touch on this morning. I'd encourage you to read these in your own pleasure. We find some practical benefits of wisdom. It involves, it involves preservation. It involves protection. It involves deliverance. It involves stability. You're going to find all these things in this chapter, and I would encourage you in your time to make a week of this, a month of this as a church. Meditate on this chapter and see the great blessings that God wants for his children, but it all starts with the knowledge of him, a relationship with God through his word. In closing, I want to turn over to Colossians chapter 3. I want to, I want to close it out here because we'll bring it back to the New Testament because the New Testament, we, are, we live life in the terms of our standing in Christ, our relationship to Christ, we're to abide in him, as I've referred to several times before, but I think Colossians chapter 3 here, the first few verses, kind of summarizes this well. Starts with another if in verse 3, but it's an if and you are. If then you were raised with Christ, that means we, if you have new life in Christ, if you are a Christian, a child of God, a standing in Christ, there's a logical result. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is who, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Much of what we said this morning in another way. If. Where's your, what are you pursuing? If you're raised with Christ, then it should be normal. If we're a child of God, to seek the things of God. Seek things which are above. And it speaks back to our pursuit. How much time do we invest in pursuits that do not include God? And God simply wants our life to be set in the pursuit, of, in the context of the pursuit of God in all that we do. Seek things where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above. So instead of seek and search, we have seek and set here. Set your mind. Fix your attention. Incline your heart to the things of God. You know, and these passages aren't written simply try to try to make and develop, you know, legalistic, pious Christians. These things are written to us because God loves us. God wants to walk with us. He wants to experience our love in return. He wants us to be wowed with his, with his person. You know, for those of, you, those of you who are married, we can spend the rest of our lives with a person who wowed us and continue to be wowed, sometimes unwowed once in a while, <laughs> but continue to be wowed for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And, and whether it's uh, through our struggles and pains and in our commitment together, we grow and grow and grow in that love for one another. And it's not indifferent. God's the inventor of love, and that's what he wants with you and I. Only this is for eternity. He wants us to know his love, experience his love, and it all emanates from, from getting to know him personally. Spending time, imagine that, with him so that we might be wowed and might be gripped by the person of God so that we can share in his life because that's what God wants. 
And God knows that all ministries, and believe me, all church pastors could give you a laundry list of needs for help. But that starts with a, a person who is walking with God, who walks in a fear of the Lord, who's, who's begin to find the knowledge of God, and that can't help but flow out. It just overflows. That's what the Bible means when our cup runs over. It overflows with the love and person and life of the Lord Jesus so that we become ministers. We become testimonies and we become concerned. We function in the love of Christ to win others to Christ. And so, what are we pursuing today? And may we, by God's grace, come to see him when we study his word, when we sit in church, when we read the, when we read the Bible and see the wonder and amazing person that our God is. Let's pray. Father, as we approach a new year, we are thankful that you are so patient with us. And Father, you are patiently seeking to teach us concerning yourself, of your amazing grace, of your great love. And Father, we, as we sit here, we want to sit, step back and realize that boy, we barely scratch the surface, it seems. We know that for all eternity we'll, we'll learn and discover more of your amazing love, your grace, your person. And Father, you have revealed to us, revealed yourself to us here on earth through your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, as we consider this, may we each consider our own minds the changes that need to be made by your grace and your power, the, the passions that need to be considered, the priorities that need to be established, the perspectives towards your word that need to be developed. And Father, we pray that you would develop in each of us the knowledge of God, an, an, a, a fear of the Lord, an awesome respect for our God. May it take root in our lives, may it grip us, so that the love and life of the Lord Jesus begins to flow through us. Thank you for this, so, such practical challenges today, challenges I need to hear, we needed to hear. And Father, may you take them and use them in our lives now for your glory. In Jesus' name.